Hello and welcome to Business Without with me, Dominic Frisby, and Ori Clark is one of the only, if not the only, firm in the UK that is both a legal and an accountancy practice. And one of its partners is sitting opposite me. He's Andy Ori. And Andy believes the firm has so many interesting and varied clients doing such fantastically interesting things. And he wanted to find a means to share uh, these interesting things and these interesting people with a wider audience. And that means, is this podcast? So Andy, hello. Who is our interesting person today? And what are hello, we Dominic. Um, uh, we're joined by the uh, fabulous and illustrious uh, Zoe Wyatt, who uh, has been uh, a CEO or C-level person of, of, of some uh, stature in, in cross-continental. She's done Australia, America, and the UK. Different businesses too, you know, one one in food, one in software technology, and one, I guess, in sort of life science tech, um, uh, which, which I know her for, through. And um, yes, it's a great honour to be joined here today by her. Well, fantastic. Welcome, Zoe. And so the first question I'm going to ask you is, is what are you doing now? I guess it's the life science tech, if that's how you know Andy. Yes. Well, well, what is life science tech? Oh, yeah. Well, hello, both of you, Andy and Dominic. It's great to be here. Um, what is life science tech? Well, it, I mean, that covers a quite broad spectrum. People might lump things like... Uh, uh, the first type of company I worked for was cognitive testing. So brain sciences, understanding ways to get data from different functions of your body, if you like. Um, but people might also... Um, medical devices. I medical guess. devices. Um, I've, I've slightly skipped out these days, actually. You're, now you've, 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 you've done enough stuff, which isn't easy to achieve. You are consulting these days. But, you know, it, 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 the life science tech business we were involved in or, or together, and I, I'm, I'm still... Mm-hmm. Uh, working with is has a particular technology uh, to map movement. I yeah, guess. yeah. So that's so that's a wearable technology company which kind of fits inside that bracket, which is um, a group of companies and a whole kind of trend of developing sensors that you might put on your body, or more recently, people are actually knitting that into material to wear, mm-hmm. um, and that's tracking. Oh, really? so yeah, you can see how you move. Of course, yeah, because everything needs to get cl- you know closer and closer and easier to. And there's some nice examples of this because um, you th- you can use it in lots of places. So the sports industry obviously use it because someone does an injury and then they pretend they're better because they want to play. But you put this tech on them and you can say, I can still see that you're leaning too much to the right. You're, you've got yeah. pain in your flag. You've often been in these businesses trying to work out, trying to commercialize them, to be yeah. honest, because a startup start as an idea and commercialize them. It's just such a complicated question about, you know, where is the market and how to do it. And in Dorsafi, I think you started to look at the sort of um, more the workspace area. Yeah. And actually, yeah, that so Dorsafi, that's the wearable tech company that um, I was working for. And it's a really interesting story that is typical to startups. It's a typical barrier that a lot of startups and tech companies face, which is the moment you realize you have to pivot. And Mm. pivoting is this kind of phrase in startup world, which is around, we thought that that was our market. We chased that market. Maybe that was the founder's dream that that was the market. But actually, that market's not working commercially for some reason. So do you have the vision, guts, and energy to pivot. And what I mean by that is go and find another market that your technology can answer a problem. So another market that has an issue. And in our case, we um, we realized through some different channels that workplaces needed to understand 
the ergonomic demands on people in the workplace in a really specific way to make changes and be responsible employers and stop harming people in the workplace as far as they could. And technology can help them to do that. So we would go in and actually put and still do that. I mean, I don't work there anymore, but that, that you know, Dorsey yeah, is still, yeah. still doing this, which is going in and we worked with like Heathrow baggage handlers and Toyota and Jag Land Rover and some really big, great companies that were interested in really understanding how to prevent injury in the workplace. So from elite sports, you know, to clinic, and there was a clinical element to mm. the company as well, to like finding a niche. And each time you change tack like that, that what people don't appreciate is dealing with getting through to the sports industry, getting to those players, understanding how, what their problems are, how mm. they need the product packaged, how they want to pay for it, um, who, you know, how, whether they are good pairs, the scale of them. These are very complicated and completely disparate things and probably involve completely different people because you may have to find someone. And then when you shift and say, well, we want to go and talk to DHL about their logistics handling, that's such a, when, that's why when you say pivot, it's like, change all of your employees moment and, you know, get people, there's no point having Roger, he knows everything there is about the FA, you know, banging onto the DHL office. So that I would always, you know, I think, I, th I, th I think it's, it's just such a hugely complicated problem. So you do need a lot of guts and you need a lot of organization and, and conviction. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point and, and speaks as well to the fact that most startups also fail because they've failed to focus. So, mm you've just described really nicely like the challenge of even one market like yes. tackling one market in a startup with a new product especially if you're in a in a market leading position so you're actually if you're a first mover which means you know you're bringing something to market that no one else has really done in something in a new way you have the difficulty of educating the market oh. and then trying to sell to I'm it. I'm never sure you want to be a... People right. say first mover advantage, first mover disadvantage. Yeah, I think there's absolutely both. That that thinking is very real that, yes, there is an advantage, but if you cannot um, leverage that properly and quickly enough, you see... I mean, it's the Blackberry issue. Like, that's the classic yeah. story of, you know... Poor Blackberry. <laughs> like, yeah, poor Blackberry. Um, Did you find, I mean, you, you, Australia... I mean, this is slightly changing tech, but, you know, so we're just saying one complication is a different market. Another complication is a different country, a different market. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the level of complexity in this, so when you have a limited budget, I really feel for startups, they raise a million quid and they have to say, right, we're going to chest, we've got enough money. And I, I think this is the right thing. In fact, Chrissy, we, we, we were just talking to, he's very smart on this. You've got to have enough money to chest two hypotheses. Do you know what I mean? You need, you've raised a million quid, don't blow it on idea A. You know, you've got, you've got to ensure that you've got a plan B and plan C sort of thing. But when you add in the complexity of culture, did you find that quite difficult to switch between, you know, trying to operate in different markets or fundamentally yeah. it's the same or? I think operating in different countries, different geographical markets has got a number of, I mean, there's a number of issues. And one is just administratively something, okay, an example, something that people really underestimate going to America is that Every state, and this is where your company helps, right? Because every state actually behaves really differently in oh, terms you, of... <laughs> uh, we don't actually <laughs> help. <it> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but, you know, 
Why? Why? Each state acts differently culturally. No. Well, I was gonna. I was gonna go down the road there of just legally. They have this. The US operates with some federal laws, but a lot of state-based laws. So, what do you do when you're an entrepreneur on the ground? There, you just pick them. You pick the one you're in, and you just pick them off one by one. And how do you budget? Because I'm always amazed the professional fees. And every time I do a call with Americans, they've always got ten advisors on the phone. I'm like. Uh, the money they must spend on professional fees. I think one of the things that is really that people underestimate, especially going to the States, and that is where some of the big, mu- like that's where a lot of people dream of breaking the States because, I mean, clearly the just the volume and the numbers and yes. your market might be massive there. Plus they got Vegas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we all want to live in Vegas, live near Vegas. So once you've conquered Vegas as yeah. your first market, yeah. um, then... A lot of people treat it like one market in one country. And the, and the fact of the matter is, if you do that, you will spread your resources so thin and end up getting sucked up in professional yes. fees, state by state, legal advice on different states. So if you try and hit too many states at once as a startup with limited funds, you're just going to burn your cash so quickly that actually, well, in my, it's my experience at least, has been treat it like, treat a few states or an area like, just a country like that a you're country. going to, like the Where, East Coast, you know, well, like you'd start there or something tight, you... tight states. Yeah. Or, or, or you might just, it might be driven by what your product is, of course. Like, Where did you actually, when you went, you were working in Connecticut or something? That's right. So good example. I went there because. Which uh, state's Connecticut? It's on the East Coast. It's on the East Coast. It borders New York and Rhode Island. Is this a test? I can't remember the other ones. Yeah. Um, and Kentucky. No. I, I, um, it, so it's East Coast. But the reason we went there is because that company, our main customer base were pharmaceutical companies. So it was a co- cognitive testing platform um, called Cogstate. And we were being used as a pre-post measure in drug trials to understand whether there was a brain response that was either unexpected or expected kind of thing um, in drug trials. So where are all the pharma companies headquarters? They're in the East Coast. So where do you go? You you go and land in the East Coast and you make sure you're close. You can get to the But did the you track. go to Connecticut? Because, I mean, I had a client expanding recently and you really, you ended up looking at Philadelphia, um, not, uh, you know, you and, and it's it's cheaper there than New York, but at the same time, you're kind of out of town a little bit, you know. But it was, was literally it... proximity to our customers. Oh, okay. It really was like, we made sure that we were going to be able to go in and drop in and be face to face. Because so, you need okay, to sell so, a product. So almost, therefore, you should treat America like you treat Europe. Is is or you should treat Europe if you don't treat it like this. You're an idiot. Is you know each one is a very complicated question. I will take and they and you, they do come in groupings. You're right because that sort of East Coast grouping. Mm-hmm. There's sort of three states. that sort yeah, of you can yeah. lump together. And then you can lump as and then you get to the cultural piece because and again Europe countries. America states, they operate differently culturally. They have different cultural norms, different business cultural norms. So, and wow, you come from, I mean, we came from Australia in in one company. We're both actually. Oh, so it was the company you were currently working in Australia. Yeah, I was in Australia with Cogstate and moved and set up their office on the, set up their office there and their operation there. Yeah. What's interesting though, is whether you're prepared to um, normalize to their employment law norms and I we wasn't got uh, you were nah, nah. which in what way were you not really because standard in America is two weeks leave in a year I just don't think that's humane so I didn't do it um, they loved you notice periods um like two weeks notice is normal, not just people that's typically. Inter- that, you know, that's quite an interesting thing that you took a stance there because I would say 
It's the culture. And I know in America that they tend to work their hours, but you, they have a slightly German approach. And there were an awful lot of Germans who built America that they come to work, the bell goes, they go home, maybe not in a startup, but that. And so therefore your holidays and your evenings were yours. Like I don't get home till eight o'clock, like probably like most Londoners, but a lot of people, you know, will get home at five. And No, I saw people, I mean, maybe it depends on industry, people working really hard, but actually not having as as good employment rights as we have here in the UK or we had in Australia. And I just, as a as a leader and someone that had landed, you can choose the kind of culture you want to create. And you know what? Yes, you okay. get amazingly loyal employees if you, yes, you might ask them to give you some like four weeks notice and that's unusual to them. But then um, I'd give them more leave that was, so it was aligned with HQ, not, gen, not over generous, just mm. aligned with everyone else in the company so that it's fair. It does seem crazy the amount of leave they get is so limited and they, they do work hard there, you know, and they're, they're hustlers, you know. Yeah, I just think that, I don't know, it's just a different, so there's been a different like culture around unionising and employment rights over time there and that's yeah. where they've landed and it's normal to them. So you break the norm, you stand out as a, as a company and as a leader leadership kind of team, if you like. Do you think we are really unproductive in this country or, you know, do you, do you, do you, you, you there's generally this thing that people know in Sydney because everyone wants to get to the beach that they say, you know, people work hard, they'll come in. I mean, I always remember going to a meeting and the guy was sort of wiping, wiping the sea off his brow as he was telling me he'd just been surfing, which really irritated me as a Londoner. And I was like, oh. anyway, but the point is, is that, you know, five o'clock, they want to get to the beach and, but they'll be efficient. Whereas the London is what's the point and we want to go to the pub you know do you find us more productive less productive I think I mean the way I think about productivity is probably not a minute to minute hour to hour type of five o'clock clock off kind of thing I just think are you building a team that is delivering outstanding stuff so so the it is key to get the really good people, the right people and have them behave in a certain way, which is in a in a trusting and loyal way. You will get the best, in my experience, you'll get a lot out of people that you treat in a certain way. Hence that sign of American story, right? Because I think it made a big difference. Um, so productivity oh, so, so you're saying by you saying, fuck the rules, this is what we're going to do. It made I, a big difference to the company's success. 100 percent in right. my view. So so you wonder, too, they're all fighting over people in San Francisco. The people don't just sort of, well, I think they have announced no, you know, but say, right, we'll give you a proper holiday. So maybe the holiday culture will come. Developers will start getting holidays. Everyone else will be. Yeah, back. because if you just do basic math, you say, but well, you're giving people two more weeks off a year. That's going to reduce productivity. But if this those people are really working for you as a leader and are actually work, believe in what you're doing and appreciate what you've done for their quality of life and the way they work and what benefits they've got. That, two, that extra two weeks off gets you so much in the other 48 weeks in the year. And so I think the, I, I think a real key to like startup success is just that um, bit of open-mindedness to let some new thinking in when it's your baby, you know, and it's yeah, your yeah. thing. And the ones that I see do well and get a bit more momentum and speed are these entrepreneurs who really are like, this is what I'm good at, but I'll accept that I need X, Y, and Z and I'll listen to that. And I don't have all the answers. It's, it's fucking hard yeah. to work out who you are. I don't know if you know who you are, Dominic. Do you know who you are? <laughs> I, mean, oh, I ask myself the same question on a daily it's, basis it's and I don't tricky. know the answer. I, I and I'll never know the answer. I'll go to my 
grave not knowing the answer. Go through a divorce maybe wonder this and a very cool man called Jerry Hyde, big up Jerry Hyde. He's definitely the coolest shrink uh, out there, I think. But anyway, he but he explained the basic thing is that you're blind you're blind to your own faults, so you cannot see your own weaknesses, mm -hmm. yeah? And you we none of us can, but the re way to recognize them is things that resonate with you with other people. So things you try and fix in other people are actually your own weaknesses. But the point is is I don't even know what food and drink I like, you know, and you really, you know, you're right. And founders and people, they're very passionate people because you're going to lose sleep over this. I mean, I have so much respect for entrepreneurs because I have lots of silly business ideas. Some of them are, are more serious business ideas, but you know, it's not fair to say I don't have the balls to do it because I've been trying to run a record label for a long time. So I guess that, you know, I can't really do extra ones, but you know, I just had a meeting with a guy today, the canniness, and I'm sure you see it when you meet someone and that's how I click. I'm not necessarily going to like them and, and you know and that's partly you know we, we, we mentioned it earlier like being a consultant different mindset but it's also inviting people into a team that are very different from you you know but when I see that canny thing and that you know they they you know they have that that bit of their brain you can see that every time you say something they say ah oh, but if we do that we do that they're just working on the basic problem of how do you make money you know the, a classic canny person would probably be very good at making money but may not be very organized or may not yeah. be actually no they'll probably be quite organized but they'll be terrible at HR. They're such hard bastards. They don't tolerate any sort of like fancying around and someone who wants an extra day's holiday because they're so focused mm. on this problem, which is an efficiency in, efficiency out. So if someone's saying, oh, I'm going to take an extra week off, your equation is getting messed up, you know. Anyway. But um, also, yeah, but also some I've, what I've seen sometimes is an entrepreneur transfers to other people the level of passion they have. And I have full respect oh, for people point. who like invent stuff and chase it and go into debt. And I mean, it's big stuff. It's high yes. risk. I respect it. But I have also seen with that sometimes comes this all-consuming nature of it. And then you get people in your team. You might have started your team. Yes. You've got five people and you've transferred that. That's beautiful. And not everyone, well, they're not going to feel like that because they didn't invent it, but they might feel pretty positive and passionate and energized to work for you and for that. But they're not going to have that level ever. And I think it's really important yeah. that entrepreneurs kind of I see that. Uh, well, I mean, what of the people you're working with at the moment? Is there either are there some that inspire you more than other, or you know, is the a subject that's you're getting your passion more than other? You know, sustainability, healthcare. Well, um, what's nice is I've kind of been choosing cool things to work on. Oh, yeah, you get to turn up. It's really nice. Yeah, it's cool. And to get to where Zoe is, I have to say, I've had many people say to me, "Oh, I'm becoming a consultant." I've thought to myself. Don't do that. You're just not there yet, you know. But you have, you are at a place where, well, you're a consultant to our own business. So uh, yeah. I vouch for your extremely helpful, you know, help. Thank you. I mean, I feel like it's this isn't forever. Like I will go back into something to get my teeth into it. Um, but for now, it's really nice because you get to work on, you know, a bunch of different things with a bunch of different people and use some of your, do you know what's really nice using your war wounds and your scar tissue. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's very satisfying to actually be able to talk through with people who are really early stage and you've gone through that a number of mm. times. Say, hey, like these are the these are the questions we should be asking right now. Here's the real like big thinking we need to do right now on your business. Um and it's sometimes things that they haven't considered and it's, you know, and it's great. So Zoe, tell us, what are your plans for next year? What are your, what are you going to be doing next year? Oh, I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Are you going to, you going to start that dream business if you got one? Um, 
I mean, I might have, but it's top secret. But seeing as we're on a couch in a nice small room, I'm sure this won't get out. No. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking about building an incubator myself. And the reason is I really think that there's a gap in the market of people that help startups of reality. <laughs> I don't know how better to yeah, put it, but yeah, like reality. And it, it's there's a lot of we work. There's a lot of theory that gets chucked at entrepreneurs. There's a lot of talks. There's a lot of theories. There's a lot of tools that might be a PDF tool. It might be a software. Like there's just a so, lot. Do you know, I so but they, everyone I speak to is having the same problem still. You which know, is what? Which is things like the nitty gritty of positioning, the nitty gritty of actual key messaging and market identification. Like it's the stuff that's written on the tool, but who's there to actually help? Who's actually done it before, you know, and actually helps them. And so it's, it's not invest. So investors obviously play a critical part in the whole ecosystem, but they're not always, you know, people that have done the kind of difficult stuff. And the example I was going to give is I get asked, he talks a lot on R and D, and the detail with which the startups will ask me questions. And I think it's a naivety in your twenties because if I think of someone I'm talking to forty, they'll be like, "Don't, I don't want any detail, Andy. How'd you get it done? All right, great, get on with it." And they'll take these constant notes and ask me very complicated questions. I'm thinking, why are they? If they're trying to learn this much about this detailed subject, as opposed to just listening to the general point that this is this thing and you should do it, mm. you could. I think it's a cost-saving thing. I think people have to do it them all themselves. God knows what happens to their head. It must just be full of oh, fifty-seven different lectures, yeah, on the theory of business. And like, who who really like finance and stuff? You know, how do you really? And get your head around your cash flow and stuff like that Jesus, in a very real tough. way. And that is so important. And I, I'm i a big, I have the like the most boring passion. It sounds boring. It's not boring to me, which is that like administration is massively underrated. Mm. <laughs> and the reason is the first person I've employed in every country I've landed in to start a new operation for a startup has been an administrator yeah. because my time needs to be freed up. Yeah. And if I don't, if, if I don't free up my time, I'm just, yeah, it's just a cheap, you, you should see. always drive drive down to the cheapest resource every task you have to do. Yeah, the um, you need a water carrier. And uh, you see loads of startups and, uh, you know, you hear them being interviewed. And often the reason they started the startup is because they're really good at whatever it is, you know, the startup is. You know, so they're really good on a shop floor or whatever it is. And so they open a shop. And then they spend the whole time doing the VAT and doing the this and doing the that. And they're not, and they have to pay somebody else to be on the shop floor to do the thing that they were actually good at. Absolutely. And stuff like you got to sell, right? When you're an entrepreneur and you've got a new startup and you're probably the best salesperson, don't recruit as your yeah, first hire you, the, another salesperson. The owner is you're always the best, the best. Yeah, for, for the first sure. few years, right? So just realize that even though you need to sell more, that's actually not normally the logical answer. In my view, people do it all the time, but I will always get in admin because you can waste a day setting up your appointments yeah. yourself. Is this, is this something about the, um, the glamour, the glamour of the startup community? Because I mean, the music industry is like that. It always cracked me up when people get, oh, you work in the music industry. And when you start a record label in 2000, that's stuffing envelopes. That's what that is. Getting addresses, sticking it on stuff and stuffing envelopes for days. 
and that's glamour of the that's music it. industry. Yeah. And and then I always think about that that it's and actually I really like what you're saying. It's like it's like so let's not stop glamorizing this with the latest Apple Mac and an algorithm. You know, basically it's administration. It's yeah. it's 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 bureaucracy. It's, it's it's information in, information out. Like but it's really important to do it well. Yeah, yeah. And you can find really good people who are naturally great project managers, and they can be young, enthusiastic, and so at that point in their career they've got their energy and they will just help you with it. someone that's willing to wear loads of hats like you're wearing a ton of hats as an entrepreneur find someone at a, a level to do your admin that can wear all these hats as well how do they find them though because one of the problems is that people always like people like them so mm. that, that's our bias is that when we meet people like us where the people you want is the person you can't stand or who you're scared of or something you yeah know. I think that is I think you've hit like one of the biggest problems is those first recruits if one of our biggest problems as human beings is recruiting people like us, how does an entrepreneur get the team that they actually need around yeah, them? Pick it's people so they don't hard. like. They don't have a tendency to like initially because they also you also hire people to build your dream to build your so people who go oh, I love it and I'm enthusiastic about your dream. It's like we've already got one of them. We now need, you know, the admin. I mean, on a basic team, it's like crazy entrepreneur, good operations person. That is your gold, Yeah. you know. But you're right about people you like because if in those early days when you've got, it's like a band of brothers feel and you're going to spend a lot of time together because it's not a dilution of people in a company of, you know, 50 plus whatever, you actually do need to get along. Yes, you, you do. You do need to like each other, otherwise Respect it won't each work. Other, I always think, I don't, I, it's an interesting thing. I, I think at that if stage If I define do. liking someone as going to the local Weatherspoons, which is an interesting statement in itself, then I don't think you need to like someone enough to go for a beer for them. I just think you need to, or want to go for a beer. You can go for a beer, but you don't think, oh, it's Tuesday evening, I've got nothing to do, I'm going to go have a beer with, you know, actually that distance in a way socially is probably not a terrible thing. Like but you've got to respect workplace each other. ethics and all of that. Yes, you're right. And I think distance is really healthy. But in my experience, actually, to get done what you need to do in those early days of a startup, I think you have to be like, maybe that's the point, actually. In a tight. startup, you've got to be you just got to be tight and um, trust each other loads yeah. and, and help each other out loads. And no one's like, that's not my job kind of thing. Because it's just, you'll, you'll just fall over if anyone's so do doing that. So you feel like if you're trying to find, your 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 brother or sister in arms. I mean, how do you how do you go about that? I mean, as much as anything, I guess you have to repress your natural instincts. Yeah, it's so it's so I'm I've never done it in a sense from the entrepreneur's point of view because that's not me. Yeah. But um, I recognise what I would need to fill straight away, like that admin kind of thing. But people that have recruited me. Yeah. How did they find right? you? That's the same question. Um, so I tell you the the first the reason I got into this whole kind of crazy journey career that you end that everyone ends up in doing the thing. Some people do. I I visited Cog State as a representative of a pharma company. I was worked at a pharma company for no 18 way. months when I was in my early 20s. My first well, job. Jugs. First job at <laughs> And um and they the scientists at the pharma company wanted to use this cognitive test to test the schizophrenia. They were trying. They were. They were trying to use the test in a drug trial, and they said, "Who's closest in our, in the in the world from an operations perspective that could visit this company face to face as a new supplier?" And I was. I was living in Melbourne at the time. Sorry, I was living in New Zealand. I visited them in Melbourne. And they were a bunch of cowboys in an office doing great stuff. I mean, a professor of neuropsychology, a professor of neurology had founded this, this company, super intelligent people who'd got a really good idea and had really got it going as a product. And I 
realized within about two hours of spending time with them that had no idea about the data, compliance, security, privacy. This is pre-GDPR and everything. This is years ago. But they had no idea what the what the what the pharmaceutical industry had to comply with. So I just said on the day, we're never gonna you're never gonna be able to be used by pharma companies. And that was their target market. So they offered me a job. Tell it what what's an incubator exactly? Well there's a few different kinds of incubators out there, I think. And some what I've learned, this is and this is kind of how I've germinated the idea, is because there is some that are really about how to get investment ready and how to help a startup learn how to pitch and get investment. And they actually don't necessarily help with a lot of the other stuff. Um, and then there's more the kind of hands-on um, incubators, accelerators that do try and bring or connect you with networks that might be helpful. But then there's another one that might bring consultants in and have a network that actually give you hands on. There's just this big range of different kinds of help that startups need, want. People are trying to commercialize a model to help startups, of course, because, mm -hmm. you know, that's now a big world that needs help. And I just think that in my world of administration is underrated um, which isn't catchy, I know. I have to <laughs> come up with something better. There is um, big up the admin. Big up the admin. Um, th there is just I just like being real about that. I just you're right. It's not the sex. It's not the sexy bit. It's not the bit that an entrepreneur and an inventor is in any way excited about. And I get that, and that's okay. That's that's fine. But it absolutely needs to happen. Um, like I mean, what your company does, Andy, is a you know that kind of incorporation, setting up, pay, bookkeeping, payroll. Like there is a lot of entrepreneurs that will just try and do it all themselves. Like you were saying before, Dominic, about, oh, so I'm, now I'm doing VAT in the back instead of mm -hmm. being out the front. And I just think the quicker, the quicker an entrepreneur or a small business person can figure out the proper devolution of responsibilities around either consultants or actual hired team, um, that the better and that that is normally not like a sales team straight away. Horses for courses. It's horses, like figure it out. And I think what, well, what I'm thinking of doing is trying to mold something that helps, yeah, advise around that stuff. Like what's the fluid structure that might work now and in the future. And, and often these things, I guess, um, you know, there was the, the, the famous American guy that took over the company and um, he decided he was going to, he was, he wanted to try and work out a way who, to change habits. And he said, we're going to make this company the safest company in the world to work for. And the share price immediately tanked. And everyone was like, what? Uh, what? Yeah. But what he was trying to do was just, and so he kept saying, we're going to do safe, safe. You know, what's the safety of the worker here? And the, the, what it did is it, created a culture within the company of ch of changing their habits and nobody could argue with safety because it's not a thing but he created that culture and then gradually changed other habits so i suppose my question there is if if people do their admin right and they get that part of their business right it 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 forces a, a culture of better habits within the organisation and then they start yeah. doing their other things better. Is that what happens? That, or? It, it is, but also it's like growth. I just really believe and have seen like growth will come quicker because your inflection points will not be as painful. Right? So businesses go through typically quite similar inflection points, which are often judged by number of people on the team. That's kind of how, pe that's the external indicator that's easy to count, but it could be also around turnover and different other different things. But 
Often it's about people because when you've got less than 10, your communication is immediate and quick and easy. You probably get along because you've recruited people you like. Like it's a it's a smooth ride. And then you meet your first inflection point, which is between that 10 to 20 people. And all of a sudden, not everyone knows what everyone's doing all the time and things are a bit harder. But if you've put some processes in place proactively um, and it's like, it's like money is a dirty word. Process is like mm. a dirty word. I don't know why, but it just sounds boring. I don't know, but it's so important to just try and think ahead and see, oh, this doesn't, this never works well. Well, let's just try and... Bookkeeping is, is I mean, you, to get you to do your incubator, you almost need an army of bookkeepers, good ones, because they're so hard to find. And it's 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 the thing the CEO ends up late at night trying to do is VAT return. Yeah. And, and it's a mess, generally. And I, I, I think the other thing is... Would, would that be part of your thing, bookkeeping? Um, well, it would be a they're bit hard about... To find. It would be hard to find. You've got a few. You've got a few. Yeah, and I but, wonder whether, you, you know, Ukraine, you know, whether there's some, you know, clever ideas because, you know, to, to warn people, there's unfortunately, because it's become software-based, there's an awful lot of people out there who claim to be bookkeepers who know how to use pieces of software but don't know, very crucially, double-entry bookkeeping. Don't un And it's a system, double-entry bookkeeping, it's invented by the Italians, and it's genius. And, uh, you know, uh, unfortunate name that may be, but... Was it Fibonacci who invented it? Yeah, I don't, I all I remember is the Italians yeah. being taught. Florentines, wasn't and, it? And it's just, it's a check, it's a system of checks and balances that means that you have some security in the numbers you, you know. And it's yeah. a very simple but very clever system. Takes some time to understand. <laughs> but, you know, you, you lots and lots. Of, if a bookkeeper doesn't understand that, they don't understand what they're doing. They're just pressing buttons on a computer. And, it's, and is that it's, something that can be outsourced? Yeah, you can outsource it. You just have to, someone has to go, th it, it Basically, when, when we teach people, we send them to a place called Brains. And for two weeks, all you do is double-entry bookkeeping. And it takes, on average, about two weeks for the penny to drop, for you to suddenly go, oh, I get it. And it's mm -hmm. about profit loss and a balance sheet and how things move in between them and how they represent. Uh, but honestly, it's one of these things for the first few days. So it, if it requires that level of training, learning to use zero or a piece of software, you haven't gone through that pain. You've actually mentally got to stare at this problem long enough until you have the eureka moment. And then from that moment on, I use it in every meeting still. So unfortunately in the market, there's very few people who understand how to how do it. How much does a good bookkeeper cost? They badly paid for this. Well, you could argue this, but you pay 15 to 25 pound for an independent bookkeeper. Per hour. Per hour. Um, and if they're bad, they'll set you back years. And if they're good, they're mm. amazing. It's a very difficult job. Actually, technically, you need them almost to accountants. They need to understand a lot, actually, mm. to be good. But having said that, and I've met bookkeepers. business would like, what, need a day's bookkeeping a week or something? Something, yeah, yeah, something like that. But that, that is exactly it. A lot of people, like, let's say a professor of neuropsychology who started a business and got a great product, how on earth do they know what good yeah. looks like? How, how on earth do they know that it's roughly a day a week or it's roughly this Especially or that? Especially when they don't like talking about it. Yeah, they don't even, yeah, they don't even know where to start. So there's the bit about what the reality, you know, the like getting real about setting up this business is not just incorporating and it's not just this, but it's understanding what, at this stage, you're roughly going to need this many hours of this. This is going to, you know, yeah. it's, it's mm -hmm. that stuff. But if you're, so if you're an incubator, we're working with startups doing this kind of thing, which they clearly need. My next question to you is startups don't have any money. How will you make any money? Yeah. So obviously linking with some investors. So I've got like few people that I've known for a long time in the world who I think are open-minded to 
just a slightly different approach to that incubator, whatever we might yeah. call it. Um, but would you charge the startups a fee or would you do it, get shares instead or...? Um, I think it's going to be a mix of a bit of kind of, depending on where I'm at, a bit of sweat equity, but a bit of round the back investment. So if there's an investor that's come in, they kind of pay for me to be part of it. If you see And what I, I guess mean. it's quite nice, your approach. It's almost like we're going to look at your team and we're going to work out what your administrative weaknesses are. And we're going to put those in place and then you guys get on being crazy and yeah, do your thing. Yeah. You know, Liberation from the administration. Yeah. Got it. I make liberation that's, from administration. That's, that's your down. anthem. Write that down. <laughs> and there are people who love administration, you know? I am one of them, Andy, as you know. There yeah. are. There was um, a very interesting documentary a few years ago with Robert Winston, the BBC guy with the moustache, <laughs> as he likes that to be one. known. There's only and, one, yeah. And, uh, he, but he analysed you know, four personality types and, you know, you sh within a company, you need to find the right jobs for those right personality types. And there is a definite type that, that excuse the word, gets off on admin and like gets a real buzz when every item on the list is, is ticked and, and things are all in their place exactly as they should be. Do, do you get there? Is that, that utopia exists? Well, I, I can tell you that on Monday I managed to get my list done and I got my VAT done in record time. And Amazon now do this new thing where you can download a spreadsheet of your purchases that month and it has all the VAT stuff called oh, out. Oh, neatly in a nice neat Yeah, box. and like getting your VAT receipts off Amazon's a nightmare because half the sellers are all on the on the you know, a bit moody when it comes to their VAT, let's put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the buzz I got from that column... Yeah. So, so maybe I am slightly admin. There we go. I love that. It's, um, okay. So you, now the question slightly becomes to me, do you become mothering or teacher, teaching? You know, there's an aspect with which people could come in and, it, you, you know, um, you would want it. I think it's just a different, you know, type of analysis that I'm just not seeing happen in the same way. You know, people spend a lot of time on market, marketing, marketing market position marketing. and pricing. These are important things. But I just do not see the um, the lens kind of applied. Oh my God, that was MBA speak. I just need to realise yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> no, but I like, I like that. I can see um, the door now. Liberation from administration. Yeah, that's People it. Will be, I'll be in there. We'll all be in there yeah. saying I've been looking for liberation from administration yeah. most of my life. You know. <laughs> well, Zoe, we we wish you all the very best of luck. So, um, as we close, why don't you? Do you want to tell listeners how they can follow you on Twitter or on Facebook or find out more about you? You plug yourself. Sure. Um, so if you want to, if you're interested in getting liberated from administration, just going to try it again, then um, you can look up Wyatt Consulting. It's Wyatt with a H, so W-H-Y-A-T-T -T Consulting, and you will find me. Great stuff. Boom shakalaka. Uh, Zoe Wyatt, thank you very much. Andy, thank you very much. Thank and you, dear listener, thank you very much. And thank we'll you, talk to you soon. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, for the next episode of Business Without B****.